So I'm excited. We're starting a new series on the book of James, the brother of Jesus. And as we begin this series, I would encourage you each week we'll be going through uh, chapter by chapter. So you can read ahead the rest of the chapter to see where we're going next week. James is one of my favorite books. You can read through it easily in a night. And so if you want to check that out, uh, it's an exciting book. I'm so excited to talk about uh, what, we're, what we are given from God through James for us to understand today. And so God speaks through Jesus' brother, which is an interesting thing to think about. One of the things I didn't know as a kid growing up in the church, I grew up in the church, my dad was a pastor, I never really thought whether Jesus had brothers or sisters or not. It never was something that came to my, my mind to think about. And yet, when we read scripture, we recognize that Mary could have had nine or plus children. And so Jesus most definitely had brothers, and he most definitely had sisters. Uh, They are mentioned in the Bible. And so Jesus had siblings. And that's a powerful thing to think about. If you have a sibling, you know uh, that they know you, right? They know you. And it's tough. It would be very difficult to get your brother or your sister to believe that you are God made flesh. And it would be very difficult for you, not only for them to believe that, but for them to give their whole life to teaching others that. But that is exactly what has happened through James. And that's why I think it's such a powerful book. And, I'm, and it's an amazing thing that God used Jesus' brother James to record this for us so that we would have this information. And as I think about it, I have three brothers. And if we go to the next slide, these, this is a while back. This is probably like 84, 85. And for some of you, that doesn't seem very far back, but it is. Uh, these are my three brothers. The, the, the tallest one is Tom. The baby is Scott. Uh, the middle one there is my brother Doug. And then that's me with a really nice smile there on the end. <laughs> and so I have three brothers. And if my oldest brother Tom were to come to me and say, Mike, I'm going to let you know something very uh, amazing. I am actually God made flesh. And I want you to worship me and give me your life. And I want you to go teach other people. I'm going to start these things called churches where you learn about me and you teach other people how to follow me. And I'm the solution to the world's problems. Now, in my mind, I might go back to the fact that, wait a minute, Tom. I can remember when mom and dad told you you had to take Doug to school with you because you had a car. You had a Fiat. And I remember, Tom, that that Fiat, the engine was in the back and the the trunk was in the front. And I remember that you and Doug didn't get along very well. And I remember it was about a 15-minute drive from our house to school. And I remember that you would make Doug get in the hood of the car for the 15-minute drive to school and home. I don't believe that that's what God would do if he was made flesh. I know you too well to believe in you, right? I know you too well to believe in you. And if we were honest this morning, some of the hardest people in our lives to get to believe in us are our brothers and sisters, the people that know us the best, because they know us at our best and they know us at our worst. And it is hard to trick people that live with you. It is hard to trick people that grew up with you. Um, It is hard for them to be deceived. And so that's the power of this message. The power of this message is here. James and, and, and Jesus lived together. And we're told Jesus, he started his ministry when he was around 30. So he was with his family for 30 years. They got to know him. They knew everything about him. 
And here, his brother James begins the leader of the Jerusalem church. After Jesus dies and raised from the grave, and he starts his church on earth. The thing that we're in right now, it's not a building. We are in a, we are in a mission. We're in a group of people that are called out on a mission to share the good news of Jesus. James was part of the beginning of that mission. And James was one of the leaders in the Jerusalem church. And God used him to write a letter to his co-believers to encourage them and challenge them in growth. And it's just as relevant today as it was when he wrote it. And the power here, the power here is that God spoke through James, not only to those that were in his time, but he spoke to us. And there is so much good stuff in James. There are so many great lessons for us to learn. There's so much power and life in the book of James. And I want to encourage us as we come to this book that we would hear from God because it is given to us from God. And so as we go to his word, uh, let's use the key of preceding it with prayer. Let's ask God to speak to us through his words. Father God, we are thankful for life. We are thankful for grace. We are thankful that you are holy and just. Uh, We are thankful that you are the originator of marriage. And in marriage, you have decided that we are to have families. And in families, we have brothers and sisters. And you equate that to how we are to be in you. And so, Lord, this morning, as we read from from your brother James, your half-brother, that you spoke through for us, I pray that it would would encourage us, challenge us, and grow us, help us to see the world in a new way, the way you see it, um, the way it truly is. And so, Lord, we pray that you would bless the reading of your word. We, we, we ask that you would speak through your Holy Spirit to us, that we would be transformed into your image, that we would grow and mature. And if there's someone here that doesn't know you, Lord, I pray that you would speak to them in a new way as well. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, we'll be looking at James chapter 1. Just to give you some context there, James, who's in Jerusalem, he's in the church that's established in Jerusalem. Um, if you think of it like this, here's a group of people that life has been going on as normal. Uh, they've been enjoying life. They've been going through the seasons of life. They've had marriages. Uh, they've had babies born. Uh, they have a career. Everything's pretty set. Life is pretty good. And then something to the, to the equivalency of COVID. COVID hits them and everything's changed. And what hits them is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That all of a sudden now, the good news of Jesus Christ has been declared to Jerusalem and people are beginning to receive Christ as their Savior and they're beginning to join into this mission called the church and they're giving things up. They're giving things up in their life to follow Christ. And because of their commitment to Christ, there are two groups that are upset with them. There are two groups that are, that are growing in their impatience with these newfound Christians. They called the ones of the way. And so the Romans, they saw them as a threat, a, a new sect of Judaism, and they wanted to uh, stifle it. They didn't want to see any groups grow and become powerful. And so the Romans are saying, we've we got to deal with this group. The Jews are saying, oh no, they're ruining our relationships with the Romans, and they're deceiving people into believing in this new Messiah. And so we have to get rid of them. And so the two most powerful groups in Jerusalem are persecuting, are pressuring, are, are really coming down hard on this church that's just brand new. It's just been born. In Jerusalem. And what it causes to happen is those people are pushed out of Jerusalem and they must scatter to different parts of the world. And they're forced out of their regular lives, they're forced out of their regular routines to go into an unknown place and start all over. 
And so James is, is recognizing this in the church, and he's trying to communicate to this so that people won't lose heart, they won't lose faith, and they'll recognize that God is in the midst of all of this. This is all part of how God intended things to happen. And so that's where we pick up here. In James chapter 1, we'll begin in verse 1, and it says this, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. Now, if I was James, if we go back to that slide really quickly, if I was James, I would say, Hi, I'm James, the half-brother of Jesus. Listen to me. Right? I'm James. I grew up with Jesus. I know him pretty well. Listen to me. I'm his half-brother. I would use that designation. That's like the, you know, I'm a doctor or I'm a PhD. You need to listen to me, right? I have a designation. My designation is I am Jesus' brother. But James doesn't do that. What does he do? What does he do? His identity is built in his servanthood of Christ, not his positioning with Christ. And that is so important. That is so valuable for us this morning. What I need to recognize, what you need to recognize is, I am not a pastor who follows Christ. I'm a Christ follower who is also a pastor. I am not a dad who follows Christ. I am a Christ follower who is a dad. All of these things. I am not a husband that follows Christ. I am a Christ follower who is a husband. Unfortunately, for many of us, our identity is more built in what we are temporarily than what we are eternally. Our identities are more built in what we are temporarily than what we are eternally. And James understood that. And so even right in the beginning of his letter, he doesn't use his leverage. He doesn't use his positioning. He uses an opportunity to teach all of us. He is a servant of the Most High God, even his half-brother Jesus Christ, who he now knows to be God-made flesh, the Messiah. He goes on in verse 2, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let that perseverance finish its work so that you may mature or be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. James says, consider it pure joy when challenges arise in your life. I know for many of us this past year, there's all these new challenges in life. And when I sit down, if I was to sit down and have a meal with you, I'm sure you could share with me the challenges that are in your life right now. And you know, all of us, all of us in this room, we have a, we have a view of those challenges. We have a view of them. We either think that, that this is the worst thing ever and I can't wait to get rid of it or I'm going to find joy in whatever God has this challenge in my life for. And it is difficult. It is difficult because it is very difficult for us to embrace the challenges of life. You know, the early church, that they would have declarations that they would give. They would have these declarations that, that they would gather and, and, and they would pray together. And they would ask for blessing and they would ask for the, the, the favor of God. But they would also ask that, that they would grow in the persecutions that God would give them. I like asking for God for blessing. 
I like asking God for favor. It's really tough to ask that I may find joy in challenges, right? This is something I need to hear, not I want to hear. This is the part of following Christ. If I'm to be like Christ, if I'm to be his servant, that I have to recognize as part of being his servant is that the only way he can truly grow me as his follower is taking me through some testing, taking me through some challenges. And how we deal with those challenges has a major impact on who we become in him. And so he says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you, tr- you, you face trials of many kinds, because it produces perseverance. You know, the bamboo tree is a very interesting tree. You plant it, and it grows. Um, but for the first three or four to five years, there's a set number. I'm not sure exactly what year it is. It won't grow very much at all. It won't grow. And you'll plant, you'll, you'll, you'll water it, you'll take care of it, you'll nurture it, and it won't grow. And you have to persevere another year, persevere another year. I think it's year three. It can grow up to 10 feet in that one year. Perseverance. Sometimes we have to persevere because the growth takes that long for it to occur in our life. Are you willing to persevere or are you avoiding the testing today? Are we avoiding the testing that God, only through that testing, can he produce what he wants in our life? You know, there's things in our lives that we we carry and we say, why, 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 if only, if only, if only. And God is saying, the reason why is because I'm growing you and I'm teaching you and I'm maturing you. And if only you would understand that, then you would grow and mature and become. And we're not to resist it or run away from it or pretend like it doesn't exist, but recognize this amazing thing. This is such a profound, powerful thing. God uses all testing for life. Everything in your life that's a test is used to produce life within you. Good life. Great life. It's not wasted. It's not misused. Every testing in your life from God is used for goodness. But we struggle with this. We struggle and we ask the question of why. And that's not, God doesn't judge us on that question. He does judge us based on how we move forward. And here's what he says. If, you, if anyone lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who does what? Who gives generously to all without finding fault. All right? Without finding fault. You can ask why. Come to me. I will give you wisdom. And it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. God is the master teacher. God is the creator of the test. God is the originator of all that we know. And so when he takes us through a test and he gives us an answer to that test, we say, God, give me wisdom. Help me to understand. And then he says, here's what I'm giving you. I'm giving you patience. I'm giving you kindness. I'm giving you self-control. I'm teaching you this through this testing. And we say, no, 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 no. I don't like that because that's not how I feel. No, 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 no. That's not how the world answers that problem. We become double-minded. And we don't believe the answer that the master teacher is giving us. Anytime, anytime you've known what God has asked you to do and you've done something else, you've chosen your own path and you have questioned the answering of the master teacher. You have put yourself in the place of the teacher. 
And so as we look at this and we, and we analyze, if I am to grow, I'm to persevere so I can produce uh, the goodness that God has for me and for this world, I'm going to have to persevere. And in persevering, I'm going to have to go through these challenges that are tests. And in these tests, I have to recognize when I ask God, he'll give me the wisdom. And when I receive that wisdom, then I must act on that wisdom. I must act on that wisdom. So when you're going through the challenge, whatever it is in your life, and and God shows you the truth, your actions show your faith. What do you do? What do you do in the midst of that challenge? What do you do in the midst of that trial? Shows if you're learning the lesson or not. If you're growing and maturing and becoming what he wants you to be. And there's a problem here. And, And James knows it, God knows it, and we all know it. Here's what it says in verse 7. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. All right, God, I like your ideas. I like what you... Nope. I have a better idea over here. I'm going to try this way, and if it doesn't work, I'll come back to you, God. I'm going to try this way, and if it doesn't play out the way I think it should, I'll come back to you. That's being double-minded. You haven't chosen who you will listen to. You've chosen the path that goes two ways, and it is double-minded. And what does it say about a double-minded person? They are unstable in all of their ways. Everything in your life is unstable. Everything about life is unstable because you're trying to live in two places simultaneously, and it is impossible to live in holiness and to live in sin. And so James is saying, look, God is really saying, look, be hot or cold, don't be lukewarm. Don't test and see which one you like the most. It's not a buffet. Choose the way you will go. Choose who your teacher is. Choose who you are serving. And continue in that way. Because when you go back and forth, and you choose this way and that, and you say, well, the world does it this way, I'll try it that way. Well, God says to do it this way, and I'll try it this way. And my friends do it that way, and my emotions tell me to do it this way, and my neighbor tells me to do it this way. But God says it this way. You're unstable. You'll never find solid ground. You'll always be frustrated. Things will never make sense. Choose today who you will serve. James says, look, we're all tempted in this. We're all going to deal with this. This is for every single person in this room. It says in verse 13, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For guess what? God cannot tempt or be, uh, can't be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Very important to understand that. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed then after desire has conceived it gives birth to sin and sin when it is fully grown gives birth to death so here's the problem with trying to be in both camps one camp produces life one camp produces death and you keep dragging the death over into the life camp every temptation that's been in your life was not from god God cannot be tempted, nor does he tempt. Huge of importance. Temptation is from your own sinful heart. Testing is from God. Testing produces life. Temptation produces death. Testing is God's way of maturing you and producing life in your life. 
Temptation is something you create and it destroys yourself through death. It is so important to understand the difference between testing and temptation this morning. Because we're all tested and we all have been given into temptation. And James says, he says it's like when you conceive. Two people come together and they conceive a child. And the child is born. And what is born is sin. And when sin grows up, it is death. And so here's how it works. That temptation, I'm going to do it my way. I'm not going to do it God's way. I'm going to do it this way. And then you conceive it. And then it's given into birth and it's in your life now. And guess what? It's that child that never leaves the home. And now that child's living with you and he's eating all your food and she's using all of your stuff and she's going to stay there. He's going to stay there and never leave. And in the end, it's death. It's death. And James is saying you don't want that. You don't want to conceive and produce death in your life. Temptation will only bring death to you, the people you love, to opportunities. And so how do we deal with temptation? How do we deal with temptation? Verse 16, it says, Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the words of truth that we might be a kind of first fruit of all he created. See, many people ring James and they say, James seems to be all over the place. I think James is amazingly, he's amazing at at pulling everything together. He says, look, there's challenges in life. That's why you've been scattered. There's challenges in life. That's why there's COVID. There's challenges in life. That's why we have all the problems that we have. But a lot of those challenges have been brought, allowed to happen in our lives so they would grow us and mature us, allow us to see truth over lies. And if we approach those challenges and recognize that God is teaching us and growing us in them, then we're going to, through perseverance, produce fruit in life. Not just for us, but for people in Africa, for people in my neighborhood, for my children and grandchildren. I'm going to produce life into their life. But we're all going to be tempted not to do that. We're all going to be tempted. Why? Because within us, there is sin and there's a desire to follow the world. There's a desire to do our own way. And if we fall into the trap, if we fall into the trap of conceiving sin, then we're going to bring death to the possible life that we could have. And so he gives a clear contrast. And he says, God brings life and you will create death. Which one do you want? God, through his testing, will produce in you, through perseverance, life. You, through temptation, will create in your own heart death. Which one do you want? Which one do you want? See, this is an amazing picture, something that actually just hit me today. You have to go back all the way to Genesis and you look at the first brothers, Cain and Abel. And if you know the story, you know that Cain was a farmer. And what did he do? He took his first fruits to God as an offering. And then his brother Abel took a sheep, one of the best, and gave it to God as a sacrifice. And what did God say? God said, I am pleased, Abel, with your sacrifice of sheep. And Cain got upset. 
And if you read the story on the surface, then that's where it ends. But if you understand, this is a reflection of all humankind. You see, every single one of us in this room, our first fruit are our good deeds. If you don't trust Jesus as your Savior, you're trusting your goodness as your Savior. You're trusting your first fruit as your Savior. You're saying to God, look what I can do. Look how much better I am than them. Look how good I've been since a child till now. I'm a great person. Here are my first fruits. God, this is how I'm, I have studied your word. I've stuck up for you. I've done all the things I know you want me to do. Here's my first fruits. My first fruits, I'm giving them to you. Since the beginning of time, all of humans have created religion that says, I'm good enough. Here are my first fruits. They're good. And Abel said, no, my first fruits aren't good enough. Here's my sacrifice, knowing that only through this sacrifice of something outside of me can I receive life. Through the sacrifice of a lamb, through the sacrifice of the the blood that needs to cover me, this sacrifice gives life. And this is an amazing thing. This is such an amazing thing. Because God says, we got we to twist it upside down. It's not about you giving him your first fruits. It's about you becoming his first fruits. When you watch that video in Africa and you say, how can I impact a life that's on the other side of the globe? It's because God wants you to be his first fruits. It's not because you're giving him your first fruits. When you understand that you are lost in your sin, that your temptation brings, leads to sin and leads to death, and you understand that only through Christ's holiness are you anything at all, and through persevering in that truth, do you become the first fruits of God on this planet. Something that is so valuable for us as a church to understand, that the problems of the world are solved by God's church. God's plan to solve the problems of this world are his church. Because we're his first fruits. As you persevere, as you persevere in living for the Lord and your family, guess what? That fruit falls to your kids and your grandkids. As you persevere in your faith, that falls to your neighbors. That fruit that God is creating with you because you persevere in him. Not because you produce the fruit. He's producing the fruit in you through your testing. And he produces that fruit and that fruit scatters and it scatters in your family. It scatters in my family. And guess what? That begins to change the problems of this world. But this world is lost, so it's a temporary change that's pointing to an eternal change. And the little problems that are solved then open the eyes to the eternal problems that can be solved through Christ. And then people begin to become followers of Christ, and they begin to persevere, and they begin to produce fruit. And then you look back and you say, God's plan for the earth is that our, us, his first fruit, are the ones that are to make it known what we're here for, what we're to be doing. And it is clear, it is clear, the only thing keeping us from doing that is letting that temptation that lives in us, that temptation to not trust God and to not trust his way. If we don't trust him, then it's going to be birthed in us. It's going to conceive and give birth 
to sin, and sin is going to grow up and be death, and death is going to hang around us all the time and never leave. This morning, how do we overcome this? How do we live into this? Do you believe all good things come from God? How do we do this? We keep asking God for help. Keep at, right now, whatever. Maybe you have that grown sin in your life. God says, I'm not, I'm not going to come down on you hard. I'm going to give you an answer so you can move forward. I'm going to give you wisdom on how to help sin move out. I'm going to help you have wisdom on how to live with perseverance so you can have true life. But you've got to ask it. You've got to seek it. You've got to admit that maybe there's some sin children in the, in the spiritual sense in your life that you haven't dealt with. And it's kept you from becoming the fruit that God wants you to be in your family, in your neighborhood, and in this world. So what do we do? How do we apply this? How do we move forward? First, I would say this. Is, these are all easy things, but things that we all need to hear. Number one, don't give in to evil desires. Don't give in to evil desires. You and I will be tempted this week. I remember I heard a young man. He said he was struggling with sin. He kept falling into sin. He kept, de- he kept falling into the same old sins. And he had a grandfather that was about to turn 100. I think it was his great-grandfather. was about to turn 100. He went to his great-grandfather. He said, great-grandfather, when do you stop being tempted? You know what his great-grandfather said? He said, I don't know yet. I'll tell you when I get there. That means every single one of us in this room struggle with temptation. Temptation is real. Temptation is waiting for us. Temptation is waiting at the door for us. If you remember, God said, sin is crouching at your door, Cain. Are you going to let it come in and ruin your life? We have to be on guard against the sin that so easily entangles us and destroys not just our lives, but the lives of those around us. How do we overcome that? We ask God for wisdom and help. It's humility. Asking God to help us every single day. Starting the day, God help me. Ending the day, God help me. And then finally, don't give up. He's still working on you. No matter how old you are, persevere. There are fruit that don't show up until later in life. If you want to know why I know this, look at the Bible. Look how old Abraham was when God spoke into his life. Look how old Moses was when God used him. As you look at many of those in the Bible, God waited till later years in their life to really use their lives. Perseverance. Not giving up. Keep moving forward so that fruit can be produced. For that to happen, you need to be twice born. Have you asked Christ to be your Savior? Do you know that you're saved? Do you know that you're His? And then finally, the last thing I would say this to you is so important. What is God saying to your heart right now? What is God saying to your heart right now? In a moment, we're going to sing a song. And maybe there's a burden, there's a sin, there's a temptation you've let be birthed and grown and it lives with you now and you need to get rid of that sin.
and you've been carrying it for way too long. Well, as we sing, we'll have prayer counselors here in the front. I'll be in the front to pray with you and encourage you with that. If you've never asked Christ to be your Savior, if you've never said, I confess my sin, I believe that you are real, that you were raised from the dead, I want to receive the gift of salvation, I want to live for you the rest of my life. If you've never done that out loud, if you can't look back and say, I've made this decision, I'm a child of God, the Holy Spirit lives in me, I would invite you to come forward this morning and make that right, right now. But this is the moment of action. This is the moment we let God work in our hearts. Let's pray. And then as we sing, let the Lord lead you. Father God, I am thankful for your truth. I am thankful for your love. I'm thankful for the sound of rain, knowing that you are the author of it. You're the author of life. You're the author of all goodness.